because everyone's listening. <laughs> like, oh, jeez. Have you listened to, like, Conan O'Brien's podcast or something? Like, yeah. They're all on yeah. Zoom. And they're, like, the number one. It's not about, I mean, it is about what it sounds like. It can sound like shit, but, like, it's all about your content. So that's why no one's listening to your Dogecoin podcast or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like, I listened to uh, one podcast that is specifically all about like audio and audio quality yeah, yeah. and i hate listening to it on anything other than like uh my my good like bluetooth headphones so that it's like in <laughs> my ear you know yeah, but like occasionally yeah. i'll just listen to it on the speaker on my phone which <laughs> almost defeats the entire purpose yeah it reminds me of um i don't know i don't know if i well I, I might agree with this i don't know i think michael moore about movies said he was like if you watched lawrence of arabia on your phone you've never seen lawrence of arabia you know it's like some things are just not made for like you know yeah, yeah. to be listened to in a phone speaker or watched on a tablet or something you know <laughs> like yes you can listen to like hi-fi recordings on like dollar store headphones it's not gonna sound the same but you can yeah, do yeah. it <laughs> Yeah, those old, do you remember those like old, like on ear, the foam padding would disintegrate immediately and they had like that metal bar, that metal band across the top. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Didn't you used to have a pair of those? Weren't those your like in studio headphones kind of? No, I've always, um, I've always, whenever I, whenever I got like a full-time gig, I definitely got like the, you know, over ear, uh, is my preference, but I, I, I have seen jocks use that before. Sure. Like. Like man, how is that even comfortable? Like the the plastics like digging into your earlobe. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> that that just made me think of like uh, on air jocks who use Beats as monitor headphones. I'm like, uh, th- these aren't working. I'm surprised that you're actually able to even monitor yourself. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised you were able to afford them on a, a DJ salary. My favorite fact about Beats is that they literally just have components to make them feel heavier. Yeah, like they. They're just that's weighted. like a known fact. Yeah, like they have weights inside. I'm like, what is it? Neck day? Why do I need <laughs> a? Uh, why do I need my headphones to be heavier? But you know that that does like speak to something that I think a lot about because you know whenever I, like for instance, let me compare that to like the five minute oil change, and I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm I'm not in that much of a hurry. I'd rather you do it right. Yeah. and take a little bit. I'd rather sit in the waiting room for like thirty. Take 45 minutes. I don't know how long an oil change needs, but I know I don't want one that's done in five minutes. I don't want the quality of one that's done in five minutes. So (laughs) that's not a selling point to me. There's just some stuff that like, and I think that holds technology back a lot. Like, um, you know, they they come out with an app and like, oh, it can do this quickly or it can do this, you know, faster or more. And and people are like, no, that's that's supposed to take a long time. We like that because we equate that with quality, but... Yeah, yeah. That, that should take a good amount of time. I don't want that done instantly. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing. Like, technology can probably do it instantly. Oh, here's another great example. Like, I, I'm pretty sure that now turn signals don't need to make a noise. But a lot of cars, what? like, they put a noise. Yeah, they put a noise in there because people like the noise. If they don't hear the click, 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 they're like, <laughs> oh, my turn signal's broken. But I'm pretty sure, like, somewhere along the lines, that was like the light bulb turning on or something, you know? And however it's done now, I'm, I'm pretty sure they don't need to make noise, but they do because we just are like, no, that the turn signal is supposed to make noise. If, if it doesn't, we don't like it. <laughs> it just makes us feel comfortable as humans. That, um, that makes me think of, like, uh, actually, going back to that podcast I was mentioning, the one about audio quality, I, I guess I'll just name drop it. It's called 20,000 Hertz. I, I think you've listened to it before maybe you've, you've told me about it i okay. haven't listened to it they yeah, it sounds good they had an episode about 
uh, some car. I, I want to say it was like a Lexus. Uh, they ran into an issue that it was so quiet that they had to manufacture artificial engine noise just to pipe in to the cabin of the car. Wow. Yeah, you see, that's like, that's exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> like, you should be glad, like, it used to be a selling point, like, the quietest ride on the highway or whatever. But there's a <laughs> point where we get to too quiet, where humans, yeah. like our lizard brain is just like, my car is broken. Oh, no, <laughs> it doesn't you, sound like it used to. You know what it is? I think it was a Tesla because it's uh, all electric. There, there's right. there's literally no sound. So they had to manufacture a, a, a mild <laughs> sound. <laughs> Yeah, well, that that also, you know, I, I believe it about the indoor sound because I would, you know, that that definitely is something my lizard brain would need. But it's literally a law that, um, like, electric cars have to make some kind of approaching sound so that you know deaf people don't get run over and stuff. Oh, Did that's you know that? right. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. So Tesla has like a fake engine sound outside as well. And um, and even did you see the thing about the Amazon vans? Like they make a weird alien sound. No. Now is there. They might even be autonomous Amazon vans. I forget. But um, I don't know how they deliver your package in that case. But yeah, they're, they're at least self-driving. And they make a like uh, it sounds like a sci-fi synthesizer harp sound as it <laughs> as it starts accelerating. And uh, yeah, but then I also saw last week this, I don't know where it was, probably TikTok, but even though I'm not on TikTok, you know, you can't help but see TikTok mm -hmm. uh, everywhere. But a guy changed out his Tesla engine sound, so his car says, bruh, as it yes, drives along. And I he's saw driving that. it along, and it's like, bruh, bruh, bruh. <laughs> if, he, if he has a prolonged break period, it's just, bruh. <laughs> bruh, bruh. Bruh, I like that as like you know because that's that is kind of a modern day excuse me you know like, bruh yeah. I'm coming you know that like, and um, <laughs> uh, the weekend of the wedding we were uh, just walking around like one of the malls down in Pittsburgh and we walked into the uh, there's a Tesla outlet in the mall in Ross Park yes I know like Ross Park has the nicest when I go oh, in there yeah. I'm like I shouldn't be in here these stores are too nice you <laughs> this, know? Is, this is not a mall yeah. for me I am a common yeah. man. <laughs> Um, but we we went into the Tesla. I, I hesitate to even call it a dealership. They had one car. Uh, yeah. But I sat in the Tesla and I was playing around with the tablet on the center console. Uh, I'm sure you know this, but in case you didn't, there is a fart mode on the Tesla. Oh, God, I have heard that. Like <laughs> you, you can pinpoint where exactly in the car you would like it to sound <laughs> like someone just farted. Whether that's in one of the back seats, uh, in the front seat, in the front passenger seat, you just hit like a little whoopee cushion button. Oh my gosh. So and it's like plugged into the five point one surround or something. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> if and, there's anything more on and there's brand different for Elon sounds Musk, I don't know too. what it is. <laughs> and there's different sounds. Like what? Like like different styles of farts? Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna get your wet, your dry, your too much dairy. Oh, <laughs> That is awful. Why do we need that? Why don't we need that? Counterpoint. <laughs> Why doesn't every car? Yeah. Why don't we get the transportation administration on this and make sure that's in every car? <laughs> Factory, standard, fart button. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you can't say fart button. <laughs> when uh, when Elon Musk does inevitably become president, I'm sure we'll have that law passed. We'll, we'll, it'll be an executive order first day. <laughs> God. can he be president was he born is he a natural born citizen i don't even know i mean i, I does I, um, does it matter at this point yeah right yeah <laughs> You're probably right he has enough money that he can get around that little uh suggestion in the constitution there 
Uh, but no, he was born in South Africa. Okay, yeah. I, um, I bet a lot of people knew that. I would like to see someone actually question that and actually uh, lead it to him not running for president. <laughs> you don't want to see President Elon Musk? It's uh, It's not that I don't want to. I mean, I don't want to, but... <laughs> I don't think him not being born in the United States would stop it. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. But let me see if I can bring you around, Ted, with this little uh, addition, Vice President Joe Rogan. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You, you know, 20, 2032, it's going to be The Rock versus Elon Musk. <laughs> yes. And Kanye is still going to enter as a third party. <laughs> just for the hell of it. Uh, that sounds That sounds amazing. I'm looking forward to it. All right, maybe we should get started let's go for it oh okay yeah i usually pose it as a question but oh. uh, i'm glad that i still got your approval <laughs> uh welcome to no hugging no learning it's a show about one thing watching seinfeld for the first time i'm tim murphy and i'm ted hollowell and today we will be talking about the season eight premiere episode one the foundation but before that uh we do have some stuff from our last episode so what's the deal with the invitations now we didn't have any homework um, oh, let me let me do this before we start with what's the deal because I did I know we're already a few minutes in but I did throw them under the bus right away last week so I feel like I should make good this week and say that Zencaster helped as much as they could uh, in recovering the episode that Ted and I had already re-recorded but still I was like you know who knows when this is going to happen again and we're going to lose another episode so I might as well at least go through the steps and they were pretty responsive and communicative but we could never you know who knows what happened to that missing half hour of of genius comedy from yours truly um, but. They made it as good as they could because they gave us five post-production credits. Ooh. So, um, they, yeah. they are trying their best to be uh, the number two video meeting client that starts with the letter Z. <laughs> yes, they're doing their best to hang on to that spot. <laughs> they don't want to fall to number three behind. Zeus. I don't know. Zeus. That is something. What is is that a video meeting client thing? I have no idea what it is. I know the name. Yeah. I, I think it might yeah. be like one of those like really old knockoff dating apps, but. With uh, with the success of Zoom in the pandemic, I wouldn't doubt if they just have like a video meeting function now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so thanks to Zencaster for you know trying their best, but um, anyway, we'll just keep an eye on it ourselves a little closer now, so that doesn't happen again. So what's the deal with stuff from the invitations? Like I said, we didn't have any homework, but uh, I did watch Big Stein's cameo. You'd watch this, right? Yeah, I did, and I thought it was really funny. Like I, it, it had a few times in there, and the little like three minutes that it was that I laughed. Did you find it funny? Yeah, I thought it was um I thought it was funny. I don't see why they cut it. I mean I I, I guess you could make the argument that his timing wasn't great and that yes. and that like he didn't flow very well with with George and with Elaine, but it yes. isolated it was kind of funny. <laughs> Yeah, by itself, it was bad chemistry. That's what I was like. This just isn't. It felt like to me back in the '90s, they'd pay celebrities to do like essentially infomercials for stuff. Like a real famous one is Jennifer Aniston and Matthew Perry in this 30-minute commercial for Windows 95. <laughs> Have you ever seen that? No, no, yeah, I want to yeah. see it though. They'd pay celebrities like you know a lot of money to, especially a company like Microsoft that was already worth like trillions in the '90s. They, you know, the two of the hottest celebrities on the planet. Talking in their, you know, like when you hire those two, you want that cadence. So they're talking like they do on Friends, just all about Windows 95 Jeez. and like joking about Windows 95 and like why you should. Uh, I was about to say download it, but I was like, no, you you would go out and buy it on CD. <laughs> you, have, uh, you have to CD go out ROM or buy it and then install it off of a CD or a floppy. Yeah, either CD. I was gonna say or that like twenty floppy disks. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just thought 
uh, th- th- this just came to me. Um, the Big Stein uh, scene is so reminiscent of an SNL guest host who really didn't <laughs> even attempt to learn their lines. They're just only reading off the cue cards. Yeah, and really, it is, it is like the sports stars that come in and they're like, you know, I don't know what I'm doing here because I'm not a comedian, but I guess I'm famous enough that I, I, I can't think of the last time they really did that. I mean, one of the Watt brothers hosted Ugh, a couple yeah. of seasons ago, but that wasn't as bad as it used to be when like Charles Barkley would host or and Charles Barkley like has a personality, too. But whenever he would get on there, he would like immediately stiffen up and like just read. <laughs> and luckily, they wrote funny enough for him that like reading it. As Charles yeah, Barkley yeah. reading, it would still be funny, you know, but um, Nancy Kerrigan was another one I remember that it was like, Nancy <laughs> Kerrigan shouldn't be on here. She's just like staring yeah. off onto the, thankfully, not looking at anybody. <laughs> th- thankfully, the athlete hosted episodes are are much fewer and farther between. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And or, yeah, so they that's what it reminded me of. Big Stein, like just being, you know, it looked like a Seinfeld commercial for the Yankees, you know, like. Or, you know, like these commercials like Dharma and Greg talking about PlayStation 2 or something like that's <laughs> that didn't happen. But that's like something that would have happened in the 90s. Um, and I kept on thinking like this because lo- it looked like Seinfeld and it sounded like Seinfeld, but it wasn't Seinfeld. But I did like that funny gag where uh, Big Stein and Elaine go to dinner and his back is to the camera as normal. And then they switch seats and then Elaine starts talking like Larry David's impression of George Steinbrenner. She's like, ah, I got to get no sh- new shoes. You know what? I'm not going to wear any more shoes. And and she's like waving her arms around. And you can tell it's even better because it's post-prod. She wasn't saying the lines right then. They re-recorded them later. So it was exactly like that. I thought that was a great, that, funny visual that was gag. was kind of funny, bit. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he walks out as she continues to rant, just like everybody always does to him. I thought <laughs> I was like, that that maybe that scene alone was enough to keep the whole thing in for me. I would have been fine with it just if it led to that, you know. But I'm glad I watched it. The invitations was, I don't know if we mentioned this, uh, there was the last episode written by co-creator Larry David before he left the series at the end of season seven as executive producer. So going forward. These are all non-Larry David episodes, except oh. one more. There is one more episode that he writes, but this is the point where Larry left, and a lot of people see it as a, a turning point in tone or in uh, you know subject matter and stuff. So we'll we'll see if we uh, you know really take notice of that. Man, okay, I, I was I've always been curious as to like where that that split is, and uh, yeah. it seems like every season we've been trying to figure out. Okay, is this where is this where Larry left, and we're we've never been really sure. Yeah, yeah, this is it. Uh, he, um, and he originally came up with George's plan to move to China for the season two episode, The Ex-Girlfriend. It was cut from that episode, but he held on to the idea and repurposed that uh, little bit for the invitations. And he later used the idea of the car periscope invention as basis for an investment opportunity in a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode called Car Periscope, which I don't <laughs> remember. But um, yeah, I'm glad he got to reuse that. <laughs> Uh, up until the series finale, this is also the last episode, we did know this, to feature Jerry's stand-up routines. And I read that this is because since Jerry took over from Larry David as a, uh, executive producer and head writer solely for seasons eight and nine, uh, he was too busy to come up with new stand-up material while simultaneously running the show, hmm. which made me think, like, maybe you were working too hard on it because we always, like, really rag on those. Yeah. <laughs> And plus, a lot of them are from his original, like, hour. Like, the, you know, a lot of them I, I recognize. I'm like, oh, man, I love this bit. It was in I'm Telling You for the Last Time. It was in Sign Language. Like, I loved this bit. And so I didn't know that a lot of these were not. I didn't. I, this is the first time I ever found out they were not pre-written and, like, from his actual act. Does that um, does that make you feel bad about us ragging on them? 
No. Okay, me neither. <laughs> it makes me feel bad that he quit. Like, I, I kind of, I'm going to miss them, I'll say. <laughs> Are you going to miss them? Eh, they really never did anything for me. Yeah, it was very rare that I was it's, like, this was a good one. It's like, it's the thing that everyone parodies whenever they do a Seinfeld parody. It is like you just see the brick wall and someone in a uh, really like oversized blazer and a bad mullet saying, what's the deal with insert thing here? Yeah, yeah. So at least we got seven full seasons of that more or less. And and so but they're they're gone now. But I, I didn't I didn't even remember that they pop back up or one pops back up for the series finale. But well, I got to wait for that. Uh, in addition to George Steinbrenner scenes, other cuts made to fit the episode within his time slot include some sequences from the Jerry and Jeannie montage. Jerry and Jeannie's conversation after making out, I guess they they talk a little bit, and Jeannie joking that she's only marrying Jerry to get her green card. Just another uh, oh. Jeannie joke that okay. Jerry probably, yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, ha ha, uh, I guess. Yeah, that was, those sound like pretty good cuts, pretty good cuts. <laughs> uh, but only we lost a little bit of Jeannie Garofalo. Maybe she would have made him work. Yeah. Uh, the episode was temporarily pulled from syndication in 2001 after envelopes containing anthrax were sent in October of 2001 to various uh, dignitaries and media outlets in the US. Oh uh, my I'm sure God. you remember that, right? Ted? Yeah. I yeah. Di- didn't even make that connection though. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the episode returned to syndication in the summer of 02. So it's weird that like five years later, you know, enough people had seen it. They were like, we know this isn't Ryson or whatever. She's but I guess it was just too close to I don't I don't remember that being emotionally affected by the anthrax attacks. You know, maybe I should have been. Maybe. How old were you? Uh, I was in college. Okay. Like uh, soft junior, junior year of college, maybe. Maybe. No, maybe. it would have been sophomore year. Maybe if you were in like your mid to late twenties, it would have had more of a difference. Or yeah. More, yeah, more of like an yeah. impact on you. I don't know. I guess just because it, like, you know, it, like we had just, it had just been literally September eleventh, two thousand one, and then like all these envelopes happen, and it was like, well, it, it's only a month after September eleventh. Like we're still kind of into that, you know. <laughs> At that point, you're like, man, we're really living through a bunch of historic events. I can't see this yeah. ever getting any worse. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly what we all thought. Yeah. So, uh, but it's just because, and and the other thing was like all those things were sent to like the White House and CNN and and stuff like that. It was like, yeah, well, yeah, that's who. That's my recollection anyway. I'm not saying it was good or, or that like it wasn't a big deal, but like you know, it w- literally was October of 2001, like a month afterwards. They still pulled the episode and it did return to syndication in the summer of 2002. So by then we had healed from the uh, 2001 anthrax attacks. Um, this is interesting because it just happened. I think I remember reading this, but on June 3rd of 2015, Jason Alexander was on the Howard Stern show and said that Susan was killed off because Heidi Swedberg was incompatible with all the other stars comedic rhythm on the show. And the decision was made to cut Swedberg after Jerry Seinfeld and Julia Louis-Dreyfus acted alongside her, which happened, I guess, kind of like in the middle of the episode is when they're all kind of hanging out together. The following day, Jason Alexander apologized on Twitter, saying that his words were ill-chosen and misconstrued and that the decision to kill Susan had nothing to do with Heidi Swedberg and adding that uh, she more than once offered to adapt her acting to any suggestions he might have, and he had declined. And that while he always felt the rhythm between the two of them was off, show creators David and Seinfeld said, and the show's fans clearly felt the chemistry between them was just as it should be. Mm, okay. So, yeah, weird little bit of Jason Alexander sticking his foot in his mouth or, or something there. Uh, the episode's ending received a very mixed public reaction and generated tons of letters to publications like TV Guide, which I guess was still... <laughs> 
printing letters from <laughs> watchers and readers at the time, uh, calling the demise of Susan tasteless and wow. the characters and the characters indifference as well. But I mean, that must have been people who didn't see the episode and had never seen an episode of Seinfeld because it was like so on brand for them. As Jason Alexander even later said, on that set, funny was the ruler, and it was unquestionably funny, wrong and rude and dangerous, but funny. <laughs> and I can appreciate that. Yeah. No I, hugging, no learning. I mean, that's the friggin' mantra of the show. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think that's 100% right. And Heidi Swedberg uh, has stated she had no problem with Susan's death, explaining in an interview with Entertainment Weekly that a lot of the show's humor is based on the fact that the main characters are not nice people. So she gets it. <laughs> uh, they admit to things the rest of us think about but don't like to admit. For months after the episode's broadcast, fans recognizing he- uh, Heidi on the street expressed frustration and resentment regarding her character's fate. <laughs> and Jason Alexander claims that uh, fans of George's character turned on him only... Well, I read once or twice. This uh, this particular one says only once, but I read that they only turned on him twice when he ate the eclair out of the trash and Susan's what? death. <laughs> what? What? Yeah. They turned I know, on we were, him with the eclair? I was with George on that. We were both so... Like, you were heartily ready, able to admit it, but it wasn't until you admitted it that I was like, oh, good, I eat trash too. Thank God you said it, Ted. Because I would not be strong enough to admit it. But I do. <laughs> I will. I will gladly eat trash. <laughs> yes. Yes. Give me some refuse. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, so I found that. I found that shocking. Kramer tells George a sure way for Susan to call off the wedding is by being asked to sign a prenup. Some people say this is an inside joke because Jerry Seinfeld's girlfriend, Shoshana Lonstein, that's the girl that he met when he was thirty-eight and she was seventeen. Uh, called off their engagement after being asked to sign a prenup. Now, some people say they broke up because she couldn't handle like the media attention. Mm-hmm. But uh, some people, I guess, the the prenup joke in Seinfeld was a reference to this possible reason as well. <laughs> oh boy, it's uh, it's weird that we we get a reference of Jerry dating a seventeen year old when in this episode there is uh, something a little bit cringy that kind of touches on that Ooh, i don't know if i remember what this was hopefully i picked up on it Ma- and maybe don't, and i think it's not cringy. <laughs> I, oh god i might be reading a little bit too much into it but yeah. uh with, with proper proper explanation i think you'll i think you'll see what i mean all right i can't wait uh and finally carol leifer is a writer and producer on the show she has a com- cameo as barbara the bank employee in the invitations and Leifer and Jerry Seinfeld dated prior to Seinfeld, and she is the basis for Elaine. Uh, we've also seen her in episode 16 of season six, The Kiss Hello, and she was also in The Secret Code uh, from season seven, which is episode seven. And that's all I got. Okay. Uh, any news or anything? Actually, yeah. I think you can file this under We Made This Happen, but Paramount Plus announced a bunch of shows and movies and reboots oh, and stuff that they're hoping to to get people to sub to and arguably the biggest thing they announced is the long-awaited revival of Frasier which we talked about doing a weird Frasier cheers mashup podcast where we each watch every other episode of the one the other one didn't watch that week and anyway I, I think we made this happen because they were like oh there's going to be a new Frasier podcast we better get the reboot on the air so it, it, it will start Kelsey Grammer he's returning but no word on on any other cast members yet. But I think that's another Death Note, you know, thing from us, style thing from us. I, I did see that thread of of their tweets. And uh, by far, the largest response to any of those tweets was for the launch of the uh, live action Halo series. Yeah. And uh, I, I saw it pop up in my timeline as a promoted tweet. So I clicked on it 
And I'm like, oh, you can definitely tell they meant for this one to be as well received as it was because it was tweeted as the 15th tweet in a thread. Like, that, but that's wait, why your, would that? I, I'm saying that's your lead story. Don't fucking open with, oh. hey, guys, we're rebooting this show. And also, we signed a deal with Epic. So we're going to have 2,500 movies available to watch at launch. <laughs> oh, and also this dumb Halo series, if you're a gamer. Moving on. Everything else, <laughs> Tim, every other tweet on that thread had less than 600 likes. At the time of this recording, that Halo tweet has 25,000. See, that does take. That I, I am surprised by that because I would figure something like Fraser or Rugrats, you know, like that would have been the two big ones, I think. But, um, and but and I'm like, I would never suspect that Halo was still that big. That's what I'll say. I don't see anybody, you know, I, I, I don't even know when the last one came out. Like, I thought Halo Fever was, you know, not a thing anymore. So I would, I would totally, I, I would see, I would say it's like, oh man, it's like 10 years too late for a Halo show. Mm, I don't know. That's I, what I would suspect. But interesting. Yeah. Okay. Is it still a big it, thing? It's um in like I mean it must be. In like online communities, yes, absolutely, because you can still like go into online lobbies. Uh th- those servers have not been shut down uh as far as I know. Um but I'm not sure. Just the fact that just the fact that that's kind of a surprise. They haven't shut down the Halo servers yet, so that must be good. <laughs> Like, they probably should have. Well, Halo Infinite came out in 2021, so, I mean, there are tons of Halo games that have still been coming. The The one before that was 2018, Halo Fireteam Raven. Ooh, baby. And Halo Recruit before that, Halo Wars 2, so it must be uh, must be going strong. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, it would have caught me by surprise if I was a Paramount Plus social media lackey and like, wait, the Halo show? That's what people that not anything. That's like, what people care about. Not the best yeah. of Roseanne. <laughs> not the live action Dora the Explorer or the iCarly reboot. Not the 3D reboot of Rugrats that is not creepy uh, at all. But I see. I got to say, that's the thing that I saw the most because it hit so many, you know, like I, I grew up watching Rugrats. You grew up watching Rugrats. It's like it it, it, it crosses so many generations, I feel like. Yeah. And the fact true. that they're rebooting it is going to. And the fact that they're rebooting it is like not going to be well received by anybody, especially the way they're doing it. Like if they went back to like the original Kalaspi Supo style animation, like that would be great. But they're yeah, doing it. They they're doing you know, the same animation way. style as uh, Camp Coral, the new SpongeBob series. Uh, but yeah. it, it's it's 3D and looks very half baked. Yeah, yeah, I, I I'm not down with that. So I, I guess that one may be the one that got the most hate, but. <laughs> The uh, the Halo one, I guess, got the most love. Uh, but that's all the news I have. Okay. Uh, we do have one bit in Newman's mail sack, but we will get to that at the end of the show. If you have never listened to us before, we are not a research-heavy show. Despite the last, let's take a look at this <laughs> timer. Oh, boy. Um, I know. Uh, half hour being <laughs> purely research and bullshit. <laughs> Um, we like to have our questions come up in the run of the episode and assign them to ourselves the week following as though we are giving ourselves homework. Uh, if we miss anything, if we egregiously skip over something, please send us an email or send us a tweet at no hugging on Twitter or no hugging, no learning show at gmail.com. Both of those links are in the description or on the show description page on Apple podcasts. If you like what you hear, please give us a five star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts, uh, Amazon Music, wherever you can leave a review at, uh, please do so. It really does help us out. 
Um, and we will send you a free holographic, no hugging, no learning sticker. Uh, we just need your mailing address. I sent out a bunch last week. I'm happy to make another run to the post office. So just, uh, just get those in and we'll, we'll talk about where we can send them to. This week, we've got season eight, episode one, The Foundation, original air date, September 19th, 1996. I was three years, eight months, and 30 days old. And Tim, if you are uh, counting this episode and every other episode we've got left, I think we've got 44 episodes until we become a Halo podcast. I'm sure there's a million yeah. of those, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but we should like just play every Halo game. Oh, Can you do a no, co-op story mode front to back? Oh, you you know what? Um it's going to be 44 episodes until we become a Halo show review podcast. Yeah. There we go cuz it's coming out soon, right? Yeah. Maybe? And we can even watch uh Red versus Blue or whatever, oh, you know that fuck the online no. one that people love. No? <laughs> Oh God, I haven't heard Is that, that bad. It's not that it's bad. I don't think I just haven't heard that name in 10 years. <laughs> That's what I think of when you say halo show. I'm like, we already did that. And I thought it was, I've, I haven't seen like a full episode. I don't think, but whenever I did see it, like I thought it was funny. <laughs> I don't think I ever watched, uh, watched an episode of it, but that just caught me off guard. <laughs> Yeah, I know it became, I mean, that's, talk about like an internet phenomenon. I mean, that's like just huge, you know? But so we'll start with Red versus Blue and then move on. If, you know, if the, if the episode's not, if the new show's not out in 44 episodes, yeah, that's what we'll do. Absolutely. We'll, we'll start <laughs> and then we'll, we'll kind of pick up a couple episodes in with, uh, with the new Paramount Plus series. Um, okay. So if you're looking at TV Guide the night of September 19th, 1996, you are going to see George is ready to move on, but Susan's parents want to keep her memory alive. Oh, I kind of like it. We might be able to make it better, though. Uh, we'll see as we get to the end. Uh, we do not start with a stand-up bit, uh, as we mentioned already. So I guess I'll say start saying that as usual. <laughs> Actually, I guess I don't have to say that anymore. There's no stand-up bit as usual for the rest of the series. Uh, but we do have a new logo. Yeah. We got our new logo. How do you feel about this one? <laughs> I like it. I think it's my favorite. Really? Yeah. We got a checkerboard oval. Yeah. We got, I'd say, light blue letters mm -hmm. for Seinfeld. We got a red triangle above the eye and white shadowing on all the, the letters and everything. I don't know how I feel about this one. Um, it, it's. It, I will say it's a lot better than like the boring corporate gray logo uh, that we yeah. had for season four. Um or the diarrhea green and yeah. salmon orange, whatever it was. Yeah, that one was bad. Um, I don't know. I, I think I still like the classic, like, yellow and blue. Yeah, yeah. This one, I don't know. It just pops to me. I'm like, I, I really like it. We'll see if I continue to like it as we go on. But it uh, it really it really stuck out to me. I liked it. Uh, and we open at a graveyard looking at the gravestone for Susan Biddle Ross. What is Biddle? What's the deal with that? Oh. You know what? It just occurred to me that's got to be her mom's maiden name. Do you think that's what it is? Uh, I don't know. Would um would her mom's maiden name carry over to her name? I, I guess it would if you hyphenate yeah, I've known it. Girls, yeah, I've known girls like that that have their mom's maiden name as their middle name, you know? And, uh, you know, I know the, that wives do that, too, sometimes. I don't know, actually. But I it just I was like, what kind of a name is Biddle? <laughs> I do like that it rhymes with middle. I, I wish they would have. Uh, I think Jerry could have riffed on that for like 15 minutes. That could have been his stand up bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
What if your middle name was Biddle? It's your Biddle name. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it's not too big. It's little. It's a little Biddle middle name. Oh, I mean, look, this is just off the top of my head. I hate it. I hate it already. Okay. <laughs> Me too. I hate myself for it. <laughs> I hate myself. <laughs> um, and we find out that Susan lives from June 9th, 1964 to May 16th, 1996. So she was uh, almost 32, if I'm doing my math right. She was about to turn 32. I think so. I think or no, yeah, about to turn 32. Yeah, I think you're yeah. right. It's just always interesting whenever we get a definite age of anybody on the show because, uh, you know, I feel like the the main four, like the big four, their ages are still kind of fuzzy. Yeah, and yeah, it's I very, wouldn't put any of them at 32. Yeah, it, it's very um, ambiguous as to how yeah. old they are. We, we know, like, well, we don't know. We, we get the sense of how he's played and how he acts that Kramer is at least a few years older than everybody. But we kind of get the idea that Jerry, George, and Elaine are all around the same age. Jerry and George yeah. are the same age because they're in the same grade in school. Um, yes. But as far as Elaine goes and Kramer goes, it flux it is in flux, I guess. And I guess I just um, Heidi seemed or not Heidi Susan seemed the same age as George, but I say that George is way over thirty two, at least by four or five yeah, years. Yeah, I, I would say yeah. like I mean now that we're in season eight. I would yeah. say that we started the series and they were in their early 30s. I'd be surprised yeah. if they were still in their late 30s. I'd be surprised if they weren't in their early 40s at this point. And how about Susan rising to like assistant NBC executive at the age of 31? I feel like oh that's my pretty good. God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, look at me. Yeah. I'm, I'm 28. I haven't done anything near that level. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Jerry and George are there with Susan's parents, and I, I thought the big, I didn't know when this was taking place. I was like, "Is this after the funeral?" I found it. We're going to find out later. You know, it, it's going to be we're going to get kind of a timestamp. But I was kind of confused as to when this was happening. But I noticed too, whatever ceremony they were just at, Jerry was wearing jeans and a very you mentioned ill fitting blazers. This is like two sizes too big and also a long when jerry should be wearing a regular like that's what it looks like and then he's wearing that gray and it's like got three buttons and it's just gigantic on him <laughs> and he's also got a white shirt underneath as well i'm like show some respect man i know you're a psychopath but come on um i don't know if they showed uh showed this but was he also wearing his sneakers Probably. I, I didn't I didn't get a look at his feet, but I'm almost guaranteeing that he had big white sneakers on. <laughs> <laughs> and so they're all looking at the gravestone and, and Susan's mom says, we'll leave you alone with her. You probably have a lot to say. And George is like, obviously doesn't. Uh, and Jerry starts walking off with the parents and he does a great. I love this bit that they do like four or five times throughout the run of the thing where he grabs Jerry's elbow and Jerry like rips it away from him, <laughs> like tries to get him to stay. And Jerry like pulls his arm away. That's that gets me every single time. I just love it. So we cut away from George at the gravestone. Uh, Susan's mom offers Jerry a swig from her flask <laughs> that she brought. But then we cut back and George is just explaining the Yankee season to Susan, the Yankee season that she's missed since she's been dead. <laughs> And he mentions the All-Star break. And this is when I was like, okay, when is this? Because the All-Star break in 1996 and pretty much every year is in July. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, all right, what, what, when is this? Is it, is it right after her death? Is it, you know, I, I'm still confused. And it didn't get any better as we went on because they kept trying to timestamp it. And I kept getting confused. But we cut to Jerry's apartment. And Superman in season eight is still on the shelf and the fridge. Woo! And yeah. And Jerry told Susan's parents 
you know, they, he was like, what are you, what were you guys talking about over there? He's like, oh, you know, I just told her that, uh, you know, she's not truly dead if we can find a way to remember her. And George is like, what is that? He's like, Star Trek Two, the Wrath of Khan. <laughs> and <laughs> it's when Spock dies. And both Jerry and George, who <laughs> did not get teared up about his fiance dying, does get a little teared up when he thinks about Spock dying. <laughs> And we find out that it is now, it is three months later, because George is like kind of tested, like kind of asked Jerry if he can stop mourning. He's like, well, I guess, um, you know, the gravestone's up. I guess um, that's it, right? I can, I can kind of get back out. He's like, you know, he's like, I've been, he's like, I've been mourning for three months, summer months too. Anybody can mourn in January. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) That was the Uh, idea. Yeah. And so we find out it's three months later from May. So that's May, June 16th, July 16th. Okay. And, so and what they were at was a putting the gravestone up ceremony, which I didn't know was a, a thing. I but I guess I didn't know there were ceremonies for that. But I, I know that it obviously takes some time to make the gravestone. Um, yeah. I've only ever been like just told, hey, the gravestone has been installed if you want to go check it out. Yeah, I, I, I've never known yeah. that there was a ceremony, but I guess anything's a ceremony whenever you have millions and millions of dollars as we oh that's true as we um (laughs) are reminded of yeah that's true so it just yeah i i guess it was a a stone up ceremony and you know george is asking if it's long enough to mourn and they both kind of agree that well jerry doesn't care but since he got jerry's okay george is like great and so they plan to go to a movie later uh kramer comes from across the hall and he can't go to the movie because he's got his martial arts class he's taking as he pronounces it to jerry karate karate <laughs> oh and man. jerry jerry is going to get elaine at the airport because as uh, kramer did not know she's been in mexico for six weeks and then kramer says well we just went to that fireworks show and jerry goes that was july 4th <laughs> so when is it is it is it the end of is it july 16th is it the end of july if it's if if Elaine was there on July fourth, she can't have been in Mexico for six weeks. Okay, what is going on here? Well, when when did Susan die? May sixteenth. Yes. Okay, so three months from that would be June, July, August sixteenth. Well, I pu- I say May sixteenth to June sixteenth is one. Oh, you're right. August sixteenth. I was a month behind. Yeah, May sixteenth to June sixteenth is one. June to July is two. You're right. It's it's got to be August sixteenth. Yeah. So I'm guessing that we're like in mid to late August because I mean the the episode aired in mid September. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always like to kind of think that we're in like almost real time, but uh, this is definitely uh behind a little bit. But it, it's yeah. um. Not, so not she could awful. have. She could have. Okay, this makes a lot more sense. So if she was there on July fourth, maybe. So that's like four weeks. That's the beginning of July, and it could be mid August now. And yeah, and she's coming back. Okay, now that makes a lot more sense because I was because I miscounted a month. I was like May, June, July. That that was my three, <laughs> but I did it wrong because May to June is one. Yeah, you, May you, wasn't a whole. You counted yeah. May as the month when she died on yes. May sixteenth. Got it. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Instead of going May to June is one. June to July is two. All right. Now it makes a lot more sense. Yeah, I was I was really confused there, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> so at Monk's, uh, Elaine's curly hair is back. You know, it's not straight anymore, as it was in, in the last uh, couple episodes of the season. Oh, and yeah. And she asked, and this is where, I'm very curious to hear what you thought of this. This is where she asked about Jerry's fiance, and he goes, who? And she goes, your fiance. And he's like, oh, yeah, well, it's the craziest thing. We were sitting down at Monk's, and they both blurted out at the same time, I hate you. And then they both got up, and Jerry calls it the first truly mutual breakup. And 
you know, there's no guilt, no blame, no remorse. I loved this because Elaine's like, you've never felt remorse. And Jerry goes, yeah, I felt bad about that. <laughs> it was a real groaner, but I liked yeah. it. Uh, I want to get your uh, take on the line that Jerry asked Elaine, because Elaine's talking about her trip to, I believe it was Mexico, to, to yeah, do yeah. research for the catalog. But Jerry says, anything you couldn't have gotten by tearing open a bag of Doritos and watching Viva Zapata? <laughs> what, what is Viva Zapata? Do you know? My guess is it's a movie. Okay. I will write it down. I don't know why I didn't, but I'll write, uh, yeah, I'll write that down for but, homework next week. But Elaine at that, she's like, you don't respect my work at all. He's like, no, I don't. <sighs> yeah, writing for this pretentious catalog. But hey, she got to go to, you know, six weeks in Mexico on Peterman's Peso, as she says. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Um, but I feel like, I mean, you know, just like Jerry, who's never had an office job and, and I've never had a job that requires travel whenever, like Sarah has to travel or used to have to travel a ton. And I think, I, I mean, it became painfully obvious in the last year, just how pointless it is. And I'm like, I really think like 90% of work trips are probably pointless. I think oh, that's what yeah. we learned. What a lot of people probably learned last year. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, yeah, you don't need to be in person for so many of these like conferences or like presentations yeah. and shit. Every, yeah. Everything's going to be done. On, like all of that shit is going to be done on Zoom from here on out. Yeah. And, and I'm fine with that because that traveling would like throw our family into chaos and like cost us so much money and like babysitters and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. so now that she's not going to have to do it, I, I feel like it's going to be I feel like that that burden is shared by a lot of like double working families. And so, yeah, she used to have to like drive like six hours to the other side of the state to visit this office and like just like now that that can be a conference video conference like that's just the dumbest <laughs> that can be done yeah. in 45 minutes on a Tuesday yeah. morning. Yeah, forget the hotel, forget all the gas, forget all the tolls. Like, yeah, I, I hope, I hope that, I hope this uh, is the the better normal that we're heading into. <laughs> but I would feel bad if Elaine had to like video conference with people down in Mexico. <laughs> I feel like Elaine's job would still require travel because it is like that's like a travel catalog, and you know, you go to other places and you you know steal the coat off a of Sherpa and sell it for <laughs> you know a thousand bucks or whatever. Um, and Jerry, by the way, still has not told his parents that he's not engaged anymore. <laughs> It's funny that like that's the conversation. Just like George didn't want to get into it with Susan about breaking up, that he was like, I can't deal with that scene. George probably would have been fine telling his parents that he wasn't getting married anymore. Oh yeah. But Jerry's the opposite. He was fine breaking up the engagement, but he doesn't want to tell his parents. Just an interesting juxtaposition there. Over at Jay Peterman's, everyone's presenting their new, you know, presumably all these people that were traveling for the summer and stuff, they're presenting their new product ideas. Uh, Jay Peterman is just like out of it. Is like his neck hurts, and he's like not even looking at anybody. He's got his back turned to him basically. And Elaine presents the urban sombrero, but you know Peterman is just just like stands up and walks out. His neck hurts, and everyone's just left like sitting there in the office wondering what the hell to do. Out on the street, Jerry and George are getting frozen yogurt, and George is feeling. Uh, something he hasn't felt in a long time, he tells Jerry. And Jerry guesses pride. <laughs> no. Uh, just funny, like, burns on George, like, subtle burns on George. Uh, and George says, no, it's, it's uh, you know, freedom, autonomy. He's his own boss now. And Jerry runs into Dolores, a.k.a. Mulva, uh, from, um, well, I guess it was probably last season. Uh, and I, th I think that may be season six. Yeah. Oh, it feels right like forever ago, which means it was probably like season seven, episode 15. I know, I know. Uh, Delor the Junior Mint was in season four, episode Whoa. 20. Wow. Man, okay. Wow. 
Um, and I thought she was looking pretty good. I got to say, Mulva was looking pretty good. Yeah. Did she dye her hair? I could have swore that she was a brunette when she was on the show last. I believe so. Let me double check the pictures that I was just looking at because I think think you're right about that. Yeah, it's definitely darker. Yeah, it's definitely a darker. Yeah, totally. So maybe that was a okay. big change. Okay. Yeah. Mulva had a glow up over the uh, over the last three seasons. <laughs> She's wearing this like very nineties like zip up leather vest kind of thing. Oh yeah. Like sleeveless, like <laughs> like very like I, I would say like Rachel from Friends kind of might rock that like <laughs> from the Rachel from Friends collection. Um, and she asked about Jerry's engagement, and Jerry's like, "Oh yeah, you know, it didn't work out." And she was like, "Oh well, uh, you know, maybe we should get together." And Jerry and George are both like, "I thought Mulva. I love that they won't." Like in front of her, they won't stop saying Dolores to prove that they that Jerry does know her name now because that was the whole thing before. He's like, "Well, Dolores, uh, we broke up, Dolores." And <laughs> but then behind her back, they only call her Mulva. Like I thought Mulva hated you. <laughs> uh, and he's like, "Yeah, what's going?" And and Jerry's like, "Wait a second, I got engaged. I proved that I could go all the way." And George is like, "All the way." I love Jerry's like not our all the way, they're all the that way. That was great. That was <laughs> that, that was, was funny. <laughs> and uh, and they both have, as Jerry calls it, the stink of responsibility on them. And George is like, you know, because because George didn't break off his engagement, he's like, I stink even worse than you. He was engaged even longer than Jerry too. So they, uh, you know, that, and and women like that. He's he's shown some commitment. He can commit. What did uh, <laughs> what did you think of George's proposed bachelor activities? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, the only one I remember is the one that he keeps harping on every single time, and that's taking a bite out of a block of cheese. <laughs> what else did he say, though? I don't remember. Was there something like going to an amusement park or something? I, I don't remember the other ones. All I remember is eating yeah. a block of cheese. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think one, one may have been like going for a hike or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just the fact that he could do, but here's what I found whenever, because like I, you know, Sarah and I have, have lived apart, like when when I've been moving jobs or something like that, and like, and I think a lot of people learned this in the pandemic last year too. Like, it's not time that has prevented you from doing anything; it's motivation. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like whenever I do have the ability to like go out and explore and do something or whatever, it's like I won't, you know. And then when I, and then when the when the responsibility comes back, you know. I'm like, oh, why didn't I do that when I had the chance, you know? <laughs> but I will never do that. Uh, and we see what George does with the, with his autonomy a little bit later. And the only one of those many things that he wants to do, he actually goes through with. And over at Jay Peterman, Elaine is in Jay Peterman's office. And she uh, has a takes a phone call from him. And he says he can't run the catalog anymore. He's burned out. And she's like, well, who's going to run the catalog? And he's like, well, why don't you do it? And she's like, why me? He's like, why indeed? <laughs> <laughs> And we find out he's calling from a telephone in the middle of, well, as he calls it, Burma. And he's like, oh, you may call it Myanmar, but it'll always be Burma to me. Uh, and he runs off to buy a melon from a kid on a motorbike. But um, it, it's interesting because Myanmar is kind of in the news because they are still going through um, a military coup, oh. which before before this year, I would say, can you believe that a third world country would you know, have a military coup? But you know, we had a, a militia coup a while <sighs> back. So That's very true. <laughs> So I don't know, but yeah, there's uh, there's something going on in in Myanmar now. <laughs> what was the uh, reference or the joke with him calling it Burma? I, I do know that it used to be called Burma, oh, okay. but then maybe in the last military coup or something, they they changed the name to Myanmar. Oh, maybe I'll look that up. That's great, great homework. Maybe in this current military coup, they're trying to change the name back to Burma. Yeah, maybe that's all they're fighting. That's about. That's it. That's the only thing. <laughs> Burma and then Myanmar. 
Yeah, there we go. And I'm not even sure, is it South America or is it Africa? Oh, I have no idea. Or is it Middle East? I like <laughs> That's to, the order where I think it is. I like to is. think that I'm good at geography, but when presented with something like this, I have no fucking idea. Yeah, I'm going to guess. I'm probably wrong. But I'm going to guess island nation off the coast of South Af- uh, South America. Now South Africa. Oh, dang it. Maybe it is. You know what? I have no idea, but that's my guess. That's my final answer. We'll find out next week. <laughs> Somebody, uh, We got to check our listener stats and see if anybody listens in Myanmar because <laughs> we're really pissing them off right now. Oh, like, shit. oh, you know what? You know what? You know what would take my mind off the military coup going on outside? My favorite podcast. No hugging, no learning. <laughs> so anyway, this military coup in Burma. <laughs> oh, damn it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so up in Jerry's apartment, Elaine is overwhelmed with the prospect of running the catalog. And Jerry offers absolutely no support, just really, um, uh, you know, buying into her insecurities about it all, like agreeing with them. But Kramer comes in and he gives her a pep talk about karate and the katra. And you got to have your katra and your confidence. And Jerry throws in Sammy Davis had it because anytime Jerry can mention the the good old rat pack, Jerry's going to do it. Uh, <laughs> 50 year old <laughs> reference. Um, and and so like Kramer's like when I started karate, I was a complete beginner. And now I'm class champion because I found my katra. And so Elaine is now confident. And she, I like that she's standing outside the door and she's like, thanks, Kramer. He's like, all right, get out there. And he like slams the door as hard as he can in her face. (laughs) I thought that was an odd choice, but I loved it. Uh, And then, um, was this kid's name Joey? I missed it the first time and I don't know if I ever said it. Okay, Joey. Another Joey. Kramer just knows a ton of Joeys. Wait, do you think it's the same? Is it? Wait, it is the same Joey, isn't it? I think it is the same Joey. Oh my gosh. I don't know why that didn't occur to me. Yeah, it's the same Joey that he chased as Frankenstein a, a couple episodes ago. Okay, now it makes total sense. So Joey shows up for to pick up Kramer to go to karate. And Jerry goes, oh, you guys have karate at the same time? And Kramer goes, we're in the same class. <laughs> I, I want to know where this universe is at that Jerry and Elaine are living in, where they are surprised that a 40-something-year-old man doing karate with kids is surprising. Because what adult that you know does karate? I'll just say, Ted, I do know somebody who is super into doing martial arts at uh, at, at an age even older than Kramer well, is. Well, here's the thing. I, I will say, like, doing a martial art at an older age, not a problem. Karate yeah. specifically. Not I'm, yeah. not I'm not talking about, like... Brazilian jiu-jitsu or Muay Thai or, or or anything like that. I'm talking specifically karate. Yeah, I guess. It, it, I mean, I think that's because, you know, definitely when I grew up, it was just something boys did, you know, I mean, and girls too. But I mean, like everyone was like, yeah, I'm taking my green belt test this week, you know, when you're in like fourth grade or whatever. Oh, absolutely. Third or fourth yeah. grade, like that's when you get into it. I mean, I would say like karate is just as just as as valid a martial art as those other ones that you've mentioned it's just like hasn't been trendy in so long since like you know the 90s for three-year-old boys i'll say or not three-year-old but like nine-year-old boys i wanted to do it whenever i was a kid but there was no place to do it where i grew up like ever since i saw jamie on jingle all the way yeah yeah, it does. Um, yeah, it does hold that stigma of like, oh, this is like the martial art for nine year old boys, and then you get into something, whatever MMA it's, later. It's or like it's the little league to Brazilian Jiu Jitsu's uh, high school baseball. 
Yeah, I bet you could find an adult karate class if you really wanted to, but I don't know if it is actually any more basic than learning Muay Thai or something. You I know? know, I mean, I don't, I don't think you have to be an expert. I think you can start with Muay Thai or you can start with karate and become like an ass kicking expert. I really don't know. <laughs> But for sure, I think that I dis- I understand Kramer's premise that he was like, well, we're all on the same skill level. <laughs> I can understand that if if like if it was like Kramer being a skinny beanpole and like some jacked dude, you know, like, but it, at least the same age as Kramer. Mm-hmm. But like being all the same skill level with a bunch of nine year olds isn't. I love what Jerry says. Like, you don't even need karate. You just wring his neck. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, Christ. you don't need to learn karate to beat up nine year old kids. It's very easy to do. I do it for all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and so it down in Joey's mom's station wagon, Kramer has a, a juice box and there's a car full of kids begging the mom to stop for ice cream on the way home after karate. This this car was full of kids. There's three yeah. kids in the back seat. Yep. Uh, Joey up front with his mom and then two kids facing backward in the back of the car. Yeah. Oh, the rear seat <laughs> of the station wagon. Have you never been in the rear seat of a station wagon? No, those got phased out oh. like right as I was becoming like a sentient human being. Yeah. Oh, I had a friend who had, I think it was, uh, I want to say it was my friend Joey who definitely like loved <laughs> karate in, uh, when we were growing up together. Like he was, you know, he was the one who was like, yeah, I got my, uh, you know, my red belt. Like he was always progressing in belts, but um, I never did karate. But I know Joey was super into it. You but did, I think he had a station wagon. Yeah, you did not have a friend named Joey who yes. did karate. Yeah. Oh my. God. Joey Lacrosse. Yeah. <laughs> Joey Lacarati. Yeah, Joey Lacarati. No, Joey Lacrosse, like my best friend growing up in wow. like at least through. We moved so much; it's so tough for me to figure out where we were living, how long we were best friends. But we reconnected a ton, like over the years, because he moved to Virginia. Um, oh, that's cool. Well, they they lived they lived in Virginia anyway. And, and uh, yeah, so I I had a friend named Joey who did karate, and we drove around in his mom's uh, a station wagon. But whenever we got to sit in the the way way back, oh my gosh, <laughs> it was great because you're like just watching the world go by and looking at the cars behind you. And there's nothing, you know, there's no driver in front of you. It was like, that was your windshield. You never got that close to the windshield as a kid, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it was, uh, the, the way, way back was awesome. But yeah, there's a bunch of kids back there, and then three abreast with Kramer, and then in the front as well. Yeah, it's, it's just packed. But that was station wagons. That was what they were for, packing them with kids. Over at Jay Peterman, Elaine is taking charge and, like, just barking orders at people and... Like telling him, I want, I love this turn of phrase. I want four ideas by six. No, you know what? Make that six ideas by four. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and then when everyone, then when everyone like hop twos or hops two, when everyone hops two, uh, she kind of giggles at her newfound power. Like she is enjoying it right away. It goes immediately right to her head. Uh, back at the dojo, we get a montage of Kramer just like beating up on kids. Oh yeah. He's just straight murdering everybody. Yeah, just immediately. I mean, just every match ends uh, just just right as soon as it starts, basically. Uh, over at George's, he is living his bachelor life dream uh, just as a total slob when the Rosses drop by. And I noticed this. So Susan's parents drop by, but I noticed this as George goes to sit down. He has a virtual boy. I, I, Whoa. I don't know if I've ever noticed this before. I feel like I have. But yeah, he has like the Nintendo 3D headset that was like so ill-conceived like (laughs) it it was like lines there was no depth it was just like line drawings and they were all red like there was no color the only color was the color red 
there was just lines of red that I guess were 3D. It was like the worst game system I've ever had the displeasure to try out. Um, Yeah, he has one, but he has one on his desk. And the good thing I will say is like, he's living life like a slob. And I think I would say that the Rosses uh, interpreted that as depression more than autonomy. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's his only saving grace is it looks like he's not taking care of himself and he's doing it out of joy, but they probably looked around and they're like, oh, he's taking this worse than we thought. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, he puts on, he's he was wearing basketball shorts, but when they show up, he puts on a blazer. With no so now shirt. he's wearing like, yeah, blazer with no shirt and blue basketball shorts, like <laughs> New York Knicks basketball shorts. And they say, you know, to, uh, Susan's dad said it's a terrible tragedy when parents outlive their children. And George's line here is classic. Oh, oh I hope my parents go way before I do. <laughs> Uh, in addition to George's virtual boy, we also get a shot of George's hamster cage. So that's still there. Yeah, we get a good shot of the hamster cage uh, yeah, over his yeah, shoulder here. Uh, and so Susan's parents are creating a foundation in Susan's name, and they want George to be on the board of directors. And he's like, oh, wow. You know, he obviously doesn't want to do this. So he's like, oh, you know what? My job with the Yankees, it's just, uh, and they're like, you know what? Don't worry, George. It'll revolve around your schedule, evening, weekends, whenever you have any free time. <laughs> And they were like, you know, we were really inspired by Jerry's words, and they can't even remember him now. What do he say? Like, walk through the shade, and you'll never... Oh, well, it doesn't matter. And, uh, you know, they're like, will you thank Jerry for us anyway? <laughs> and you can tell George is just seething, thinking about Jerry getting him into this. Uh, I did notice the other thing. So in addition to the virtual boy and the hamsters, George also has a ton of, and it's crazy that we already talked about this, but Windows software boxes, like Windows oh. installation disks boxes like there's windows he's got microsoft office he's got microsoft works too which is kind of redundant if you have if you have office you don't need works but <laughs> i didn't even that's catch just that. my opinion <laughs> yeah and over at monks george walks in jerry is sitting at a booth with his back to the door and george is glaring at jerry as he walks in and he you know is, is acting very nicely but also you can tell he's kind of pissed off and he picks up the mustard and squirts it in jerry's coffee <laughs> And and just lays into him for getting him involved, essentially, in this foundation now that's going to take up all of his free time. This and, this was so good and, like, how nonchalant it was. Yeah, yeah. Jerry's, like, totally clueless. And he's like, oh, yeah. And he's just like, yeah. It just, like, one fluid motion just, like, squirts the mustard in his car co- and stirs it up, which I yeah. love. <laughs> Not only that, but, like, even when he's done stirring it up, just kind of flings the spoon. Not, like, at Jerry, but, like, towards his yeah. end of the table yeah and he's like i shouldn't be doing this foundation i should be uh, eating a block of uh, you know he's like i was eating a block of cheese the size of a car battery and then that's when jerry's like you know what i, I gotta point out i think it's weird that you equate eating a block of cheese with some bachelor paradise <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's the one thing that yeah he's like why are you so i mean it does it is awesome don't get me wrong <laughs> i i would like to attempt to do it myself i'm not gonna lie yeah, might be stopped up for months, but it'd be worth it. <laughs> so he's back in after being, you know, out and free. He's back in and all because of the Wrath of Khan. With Jerry says, by the way, that that was the it was the best one out of all those movies. And I think he's wrong. I don't know if you've have you seen any Star Trek movies? I have not. Maybe I, I should get Paramount the, Plus. <laughs> yeah, you definitely need it. Um, have you even seen the reboot? No, I haven't seen any of those. Oh, any of those, those either. Are, 
Those are pretty good. I, I didn't see Into Darkness, but I like the first two. But um, the the originals, you know, I was never a huge fan of the show, but the the original movies I like. But I gotta say, Star Trek Six: The Undiscovered Country is the best Star Wars or wow. Star Star Wars Star Trek movie. Yeah, I, a it's got Christopher Plummer as a Klingon, mm-hmm. the 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 great Christopher Plummer who just passed away. But also, it's just a great send off for that whole crew as as they were like sort of transitioning to the uh, the um n- next generation movies. I know um Grace's mom is a huge fan of Star Trek, and so like if I ever wanted to like get into it or like watch a specific series or or like set of movies, I just ask her like, "Hey, what should I start with? What what is like considered canon? What is considered like extended universe? If that's a thing in Star Trek." Um, mm-hmm. what, what is, uh, what is like essential viewing? Um, but I don't know. It just never, I, I don't want to say it never appealed to me. Um, yeah. I just never took the time to watch anything of it. Yeah. I remember back in like sixth grade or something, I rented all the original like Star Wars motion pictures. Star Trek. And yeah, I don't, I mean, I know why I keep saying Star Wars. It's my, that's my preferred star <laughs> out, you know, star media. Um, but, uh, yeah, I rented all of those and, and I don't, but I will say that a lot of people think Wrath of Khan is the best one, but I, I know people say that the odd numbered Star Trek movies are the worst and the even numbered ones are good. So two, four, six are good and one, three and five are, are bad, but four, I like too. four is the one where they have to travel back in time and, and bring Whale, they have to steal whales from the past because they're extinct what? and bring them to the future where aliens are communicating with them using whale talk and they're going to blow up the earth if they don't. Yeah, it's a weird premise, but I promise you it works because all these people from the, it's real fish out of water comedy. All these people from the future are walking around like 1990s or 1989 uh, San Francisco. And um, yeah, it's it's I like that one, too. Four that, is good. That sounds like a fourth movie in the series is if I've ever heard one. <laughs> yeah yeah they're like well the trilogy's done and it did pretty well, well what are we, so what are we gonna do next oh let's um let's go steal whales so that they can help us communicate with each other yeah yeah <laughs> and then i don't even remember what five is about but six i know is is great it's about a it's like a, a great uh klingon assassination plot uh it was pretty good um, oh, and, but George, before we leave this scene, he lets out a con, which is very reminiscent of uh, William Shatner, probably in the Wrath of Khan. Back at the oh, oh, with the Foundation conference room, we're in some sort of conference room for the Foundation. George is looking at a portrait of Susan that's been painted and hung on the wall. It's absolutely gigantic. Oh and my god, meets, it's huge! <laughs> yeah, and he meets Wick Thayer, who is the chairman. <laughs> And I recognize this guy as the one who's like kind of turned into a fish man in the first X-Men movie. He plays the like very anti-mutant senator. Do you remember this guy? No. But I know he's been uh, he's been in a ton of stuff. I'll write down Wick actor. Uh, we'll do a, a little dive on him next week. But um, yeah, so he's the the chairman of the board of directors. And uh, he talks about how much money the Rosses have uh, and... He's like, George says, oh, yeah, I knew they had some monies. And he's like, oh, the Rosses have many, many monies, Uh, (laughs) which, by the way, in the audience got a. uh, So after he said many, many monies, some guy in the audience goes, (laughs) did you hear that? Nope. Oh, my gosh. I was like, what? Was that the guy that wrote that line? (laughs) No one else reacts to it. But just to get his own line over, he wanted to start the uproarious applause. Yeah, I think it was like the 
the the new writer who like got one pitch joke in. They're like, all right, we can say many many monies. I guess it's kind of yes. funny. And then like, <laughs> and then he was like, oh, I'm gonna show up that day and laugh so damn hard. <laughs> he called his mom and his dad <laughs> and asked them to to be there to help him. And they're like, uh, we we can't make it, sweetie. Um, I have to wash my hair. <laughs> He's like, well, listen for my line. You'll know which one it is. It'll get the biggest laugh. (laughs) And all of this money they had planned to give to George and Susan, pretty much. And now, not. We get a lot of play on this. Oh, was that going to be mine? And now, not. uh, Kind of thing. It's all been endowed to the foundation. Even this townhouse would have been your wedding gift. And if we're just looking at the conference room of this townhouse, or whatever it is, some sort of dining room, or like... Just this room is bigger than most New York City apartments. Yeah. And it would have been George in George's house. Like, <laughs> as much as George would have hated his life, supposedly, like, it would have been a very comfortable life. <laughs> oh, at Monk's, there is, first of all, in the exterior shot of Monk's, did you see the dude who walks by in, like, a sweet white denim jacket that says Naughty by Nature on the back? Like, no. gigantic and gigantic gold letters. Oh, my gosh. It was awesome. (laughs) That was like the coolest dude in New York City that day. Had to have been. (laughs) And Jerry is there meeting Mulva. And they're having a nice lunch. And she doesn't believe the breakup was mutual. And in fact, she takes it as a fact that Jerry has not grown at all. I like the fact that he says, well, I can't argue with that. But it still remains. Like, So he's like, no, I haven't grown. But that doesn't mean the breakup was not mutual. (laughs) And she walks out on him. Mulva doesn't believe it. And up in the apartment... Elaine's secretary calls for Jerry. You know, he picks up the phone. He's like, please hold for Elaine Bennis. And he's like, oh, (laughs) Oh, I can't can't believe believe this. That was great. (laughs) And Elaine's first catalog is done. She's smoking a big old stogie, putting her feet up on Jay Peterman's desk. She calls it a peach. It's a peach, Jerry. (laughs) And I I wrote that Elaine is really swinging her her new corporate schlong around. (laughs) (laughs) She calls Jerry a doofus for not believing in her. And you know who's not a doofus, who she always thought was? Kramer, because he told her she could do it. And Jerry kind of tricks her into going down to see Kramer do karate at his... He's like, oh, you know, if uh, I think he's at karate right now. And she's like, well, maybe I'll go down there and thank him myself. <laughs> and that was all Jerry's plan. Because at Kenpo Karate, which I thought was the name of a karate place. And I thought I was like, I was like, oh, great. I can really Google this name and find out where this was. But um, it's not... It's the name of a style of karate. Oh, yeah, I didn't know it's, that. it's kind of an an updated, maybe even like Americanized style that applies logic and practicality. Uh, it says uh, so that it can po karate. Uh, and Kramer is in there as he says, dominating. Elaine's like, Elaine, Kramer, what are you doing here? He's like, I'm dominating. <laughs> <laughs> this gave me, and maybe like this gave me very Dwight energy, like from those that early, not even early office, just like all through, like this is something Dwight would do on the office, like yeah. take a karate class. Yeah. And I mean, didn't he, didn't, wasn't he in a karate class with a bunch of kids? Oh God, you're asking the wrong person. Um, uh, I don't know. Maybe. Cause I know he like takes the office to the dojo to fight Michael. Cause Michael says he could beat him or something. And, and I want to say it was the same kind of situation where he's in class with like a, people who are not, you know, his at his age level. <laughs> um, but this gave me very Dwight from the office energy. The Kramer's like proud that he's dominating all these kids. And Elaine is very upset that this is where he got all that crap about the Katra. And he's like, what? No, that was Star War- or Star Trek 3, The Search for Spock. <laughs> <laughs> and Elaine's like, what? And he's like, I know Jerry will tell you 
uh, uh, two is better, but three. And uh, Elaine pushes him down and calls him a doofus, at which point the kids all go, ooh, <laughs> because Elaine, someone has just beaten uh, the one that's been dominating them. Over at Monk's, Jerry is running breakup scenarios to a panel of two waitresses and Ruthie Cohen and the manager of Monk's. Like, all right, say my fiance left me for another man. Does that make me uh, more desirable, less desirable, or the same, or something like that? And they're all kind of, uh, you know, he's, it's like like very focus groupy. Uh, meanwhile, Kramer and Joey are supposedly getting picked up by Joey's mom in the alley, but Joey says there's been a change of plans, and kids emerge, like 20 kids, maybe more, emerge from uh, the alley and surround Kramer. And one of the girls says, now we finish it. And they pull him off the ladder to beat him up, just like the ribbon episode, when he was pulled down by all the people for not wanting to wear the ribbon. <laughs> So pretty much the same shot there. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> uh, up in the apartment, Jerry is on a phone call with his dad as Elaine walks in. And right as he was about to get off the phone, he goes, I'm not getting married anymore. Tell mom bye. <laughs> 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 and uh, hangs up. And then he the phone starts ringing immediately, of course, but he rips it out of the wall. <laughs> <laughs> And Elaine's, after seeing Kramer, as he knew it would, because Jerry can't just let anybody be happy. Like, if someone's happy, he has to, like, bring them down. Like, this was not, you know, I mean, it it fits in with the character of the show, but, like, this is not something a good friend would do. No. You know? This was, anybody being happy is an affront to Jerry's character. Yes. Yeah. If someone's happy and, like, succeeding, that means there's, like, some success out there that Jerry's not getting. Exactly. (laughs) There's only a set amount of success. Success is like Bitcoin, Tim. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's like a tap, and it's going to run out if someone else is successful, (laughs) even if it's one of Jerry's friends. So, uh, yeah. So now Elaine's confidence is shot. Her self-esteem is gone. uh, And she pulls out the Urban Sombrero. And she put it on the cover of the catalog. Uh, Kramer comes in after having been beaten up by all the kids. And he can't even look at the urban sombrero. Like, I, I really liked that. It's like it's like burning his eyes. He looks at Jerry. He's like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> but this is where Jerry almost kind of turns around. He's like, he is trying to make Elaine feel better. He says, well, no one really looks at the cover. <laughs> uh, and he tells Kramer, too. He's like, it's the urban sombrero. Elaine put it on the cover. We're very, we like it a lot or whatever, you know, but Kramer can't even play along with it. And Elaine tells him it's your fault. You told me I could run the catalog. I like this Kramer. He's like, well, I was way off. (laughs) (laughs) It was like a very Pacino-esque delivery of that where he like yelled the last two words. Uh, George, meanwhile, is stuck at the foundation and Kramer says you should go down there. You know, he's a widower. And Jerry's like, wait a second, a widower? And he rushes to his notes to look at his notes from the focus group he was running. Back at the foundation, they're going over the assets, including a 48-acre beach house in Southampton. Which is, is this the, this isn't the beach house that they went to, is it? George and Susan weren't together yet, were they? No, no, yeah, that was, um, no, that was uh, their friend's beach house. Okay. Yeah, to see the baby, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, different one. Okay. But when I heard 48 acres, I was like, all right, well, let me look up some Southampton That's real estate. huge. Yeah, I was like, I don't think the writers know what an acre is because, for instance, all right, here's one of the first houses I, I looked at uh, on Zillow in Southampton was 900 square feet, okay, 900 square feet, three bedrooms, one bath, $495,000. Yeah, that's a uh that's the same dimensions but smaller size 
than our house. We have three bed, one bath, but we have like about fourteen hundred square feet. Yeah, yeah, that's a good size. Yeah, that's I can a good tell size you, we didn't pay no fucking four hundred thousand dollars for this place. <laughs> yeah, when I saw nine hundred square feet, I was like, I think my first apartment by myself was about that size, and that was one bedroom. Yeah. How would you fit three bedrooms into a 900-square-foot house? I have no idea, but you're going to pay half a million dollars for it in Southampton. It is one of like the richest zip codes in the entire universe. Um, but so I found... I was like, all right, well, let me look at the big houses that would be 48 acres. So I found a, a seven-bedroom house that is 5,346 square feet, and that's $52.5 million on three acres. On three you acres. Only th- yeah, on three acres. And by the way, the picture, I was like, that's a sh- that's a huge backyard. It's a nice big front yard with a huge driveway. I was like, that's three acres. So I was like, all right, let's go even bigger. Eight bedrooms, 13 bathrooms, 16,500 square feet, 16,000 square feet. That's that's only $29.5 million, by the way. So it must be on, older construction or something. On how much land does it say? Six. Six, six acres. acres. Yeah. So that's a 16,000 square foot house on six acres, and it was still gigantic. And I was like, I don't think the writers know what an acre is because because 48 acres of Southampton is like half the town, I think. <laughs> you get your own zip code in Southampton for 48 Pretty acres. Much. Yeah, I was like, that's really big for any, but maybe it, maybe they do exist. If there's any, uh, you know, uh, high dollar Southampton realtors out there, let us know what a 48 acre, because, you know, I couldn't even find any 48 acre houses that were up for sale right now. I couldn't find any on 25 acres that were up for sale now using the filter. (laughs) I put the minimum at 25 acres and there's nothing for sale or anything. And so I, I didn't look at like individual lots or anything. I didn't have that kind of time, but I was like, I really think 48. I don't know if you could find anything for 48 acres, but maybe maybe they have. I mean, if you'd be an idiot, I think, these days if you didn't split that into like, you know, keep 10 acres for yourself. Oh, my God. Yeah. And split split the rest of the 38 into like four different lots. And geez. So that would have been George's. And now not. We get uh, we get the um, now not gag again. George picks up the phone and Jerry is calling from Monk's. And George's widower story tested through the roof. Everybody thinks that's the best story to, you know, uh, as far as breaking up an engagement would go. And George says, there's two cute girls down here at the, sitting at the counter and they're eating grilled cheese, George. Cheese! <laughs> because, like, obviously taking a bite out of almost pure cheese is something that George is, you know, he's got to find that attractive in a woman if he wants to do it so badly himself. <laughs> See, this is this is the thing that I might be reading too much into. Jerry calling George, telling him that there's two cute girls sitting here eating grilled cheese. <laughs> no, knowing that Jerry has dated people under the age of 18, uh, uh this doesn't sit well with me. <laughs> <laughs> I did not pick up on that, but do, do, you, do you follow that connection though? Oh, totally. Yeah, I totally, I do think you're reading into it, <laughs> Oh, but I don't I, know if it was 100%. I, they're, they're not, they're, that's not, they're not meaning that in the show. I can guarantee, but like, but, the circumstances. I didn't say you're too reading much. too much into it, though. Okay. I didn't say you're reading too much into it. I said you're reading into it. <laughs> That's true. I I can't say that it wasn't a subconscious choice on George's <laughs> uh, or on Jerry's part to write it that way or to say it that way. There's two cute girls eating grilled cheese. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but I love that. Also, we get another running gag through the series where George, Jer- you know, George says, uh, "I can't go." You know, like like the way you'd say it to your friend when your mom told you that no, you can't go over there. 
I can't go. <laughs> yeah, or the the way that Democrats say, "Sorry, we just can't do stimulus checks." I can't. Yeah, I'm sorry, can't. guys. My my my, my my Republican coworkers won't let me. <laughs> I can't do it. Uh, and so they're going to go over Susan's doll collection now, which we have seen, by the way, and we find out now that it's worth two point six million dollars. Ooh, baby. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Chairman Thayer suggests going through it doll by doll. And George looks at the portrait uh, of Susan. And it's at this point that I notice, like, she has just the perfect fuck you smirk on her face for this <laughs> for this moment in, in particular. But for the whole thing, like, they just painted her like, uh, it's like just so smarmy and like just a, just such a fuck you look on her face. And, uh, you know, and, and that's the way George, I think, is looking at it. Like, I can't believe I have to do this. You're making me do this. Uh, and that's the end of the episode proper. We do get one last little bit of Elaine on the subway. And there's one guy talking to one guy talking to another guy who's obviously just gotten fired because he's got a like the office paper box full of his belongings. And the other one's telling him that he got fired for wearing the urban sombrero and taking a nap in his office during the day. And so did the guy holding the box. In fact, he found his walking papers stapled to the brim when he woke up, which is a hilarious uh, visual. And uh, so both of these guys uh, got fired because of Elaine's urban sombrero. And uh, the the one guy, what does he call the Jay Peterman catalog? I forget. Uh, Jay... Oh man, it's close to Peterman. Yeah, Pinkleman? it's very close, and yeah, something like that. And, and Elaine's like, actually, it's uh, it's it's Peterman. <laughs> oh my god! And that's the end of the episode. We we did get um a splash screen uh in memory of our friend Marjorie Gross, which kind of uh made me feel bad for laughing at a lot of this stuff. Oh wait, I don't. Um, wait, who? I I didn't see this. Oh, it was uh between the boardroom and the post credits. Huh, I don't know why I didn't notice that. Really? What uh so who's Marjorie Gross? I don't know who Marjorie Gross is, which makes me feel even oh. worse now. Oh. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I'm I'm guessing just like one of the friends of uh the writers or of Larry and Jerry, maybe. Um Yeah, she she was a Canadian television writer and producer and wrote for Seinfeld along with uh, the Larry Sanders show, Get a Life, Square Pegs, and she died June seventh, nineteen ninety six. Oh wow! Okay, so right in between, yeah. right in between the seasons. Okay. Yeah, yeah. She wrote the Fusilli Jerry, the Understudy, the Showerhead, and the Secretary. Oh wow! Yeah, some some good, some decent credits. Yeah, yeah. Um. Okay, so what do we got for homework this week? We actually have a little bit of homework after a, a kind of a lack of it. There, uh, we'll look up the name Biddle and see why that's Susan's middle name, <laughs> uh, and what Viva Zapata is. And the history of the Burma-Myanmar name change, which, by the way, I just I got a CNN uh, alert while we were recording this. No way. That says it, the Myanmar police and military killed at least 18 people after opening fire on a peaceful demonstration against the military, military coup, the UN says. Yeah. Jesus Christ. I know. So it is still going on over there, um, and it ain't pretty. I really hope we didn't make that happen. <laughs> I know that that'd be the worst one oh, no. so far. I think. Oh no, yeah. that'd be very grim. And they're happening sooner now. Like normally, it takes a week. And like, hey, guess what? Last week happened. And like now, now, it's during the show. Now we're speaking them literally into existence. We we are casting the spell. Whoops. Oh fuck. Okay. Uh, and uh, the actor that played Wick Thayer. We'll do a little dive on him too. Uh, okay. What do you like for cover art for this episode? Oh, great question. I kind of like George staring at the portrait. That's not bad. Um, what else is there? What are you thinking? Um, I liked uh, Kramer just straight up murdering all of the kids uh, at karate. Yeah. 
Um, I liked, uh, I, I did like George looking up at the painting of Susan. And then I also wrote, uh, oh, uh, kids beating the shit out of Kramer in the back alley. <laughs> I, I would also throw in George living his bachelor paradise dream where like pointing at the door, like about to fall on the couch. It is like oh, holding yeah. the cheese and eating. Yeah. That might be a good still shot too. <laughs> Oh boy! All right, I'll, I'll see what uh, I'll see what looks best. Uh, but now it is time to unzip Newman's mail sack. Zzz. Today's email is from Elio Canella once again. Elio says, "Hey guys, first off, I wasn't sure what to use in the subject line, but since there's a movie tie-in included in this email, I thought I'd go with Seinfeld movie connection. And sure enough, the subject line is Seinfeld movie connection. Here in Toronto, we get a movie channel called Silver Screen Classics." which airs old movies from the 30s to the 60s. Having recorded a movie earlier last week, after the movie ended, they showed a condensed version of an old film from 1951 titled The Hoodlum. Curious to see which actor starred in the movie, I went to IMDb and looked up the information. One of the lead actors in the movie was Lawrence Tierney, the actor who played Elaine's father, Alton Bennis, in the Jacket episode. And he actually included a side-by-side image and man, this is weird seeing Lawrence Tierney in 1951. He um he looks younger, but also older. <laughs> <laughs> let me see. Let me see if I can find a good picture of uh, Lawrence Tierney. Oh wow, yeah, the first one that pops up is like black and white. Yeah, very. Um, he kind of looks Kirk Douglas ish. A little bit, yeah. Like, um, I know you mentioned whenever we covered that episode that Lawrence Tierney is a bad motherfucker and everybody should be afraid of him. But seeing him <laughs> in 1951, I would 100% be afraid of that guy. Yeah, yeah. He still looks pretty cool. Yeah. And he, I mean, he's got that um, that Lawrence Tierney, you know, resting bitch face, only it's just like younger. Yes. And so rather than like grumpy old man, it looks like, you know, just kind of badass. <laughs> He's like scowling at everybody and every pic- there's like one picture of him smiling. That's the first one that popped up and that's the one he looks like Kirk Douglas in, but and every other one he's scowling at everybody, scowling at this Come woman, on. scowling I, at the camera. I, I'm I'm seeing a photo of him scowling right now. I can't imagine <laughs> what it would look like him smiling. It, I, I wonder if it's like Mo from The Simpsons smiling whenever like he <laughs> stares straight on at the camera. And everyone's just yeah. like, Oh God, what was that? Please don't ever do that again. <laughs> scowling at this guy he's about to punch yeah <laughs> scowling at a police officer yeah <laughs> uh, and uh okay well th- thank you elio for for that uh let's zip newman's mail sack back up Zzz. all right uh let's see if we can come up with a better description for the season eight opener okay so we had george is ready to move on but susan's parents want to keep her memory alive the the thing I didn't like about it when I first heard it was it kind of eh, I guess it doesn't it doesn't indicate that George is going to be involved in any way. So I guess I like it. I, I think it, I thought it gave away a little too much about the way George is going to get his comeuppance in this. But I guess it doesn't because it just says George wants to move on. Susan's parents don't. That's yeah. I that doesn't really give anything away about how George is going to be dragged into it. Yeah, I I like this a lot. Um, yeah, I like it. Uh, again, I'll, I'll reiterate it. what I said last week. I'm really glad I didn't read this episode description um, <laughs> before watching Susan die because I'm probably the only person who was caught off guard by Susan dying. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, I mean, actually, I guess no, it, I, I have to clarify because watching this episode this morning, uh, Grace came down the stairs, uh, w- uh, woke up and came down the stairs halfway through. And she's like, wait, Susan died. <laughs> so yeah, I, I was, well, I was, I was the second person or <laughs> I, I'm one of two people, I guess. Now it's all, now it's all been spoiled for her. <laughs> she's not going to be half as shocked when she does her watch through. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so i i mean in order to take that element away from it which i don't think we need to we could say something like just like you know george is ready to move on but susan's parents have other plans or something that that gives an indication that the engagement ended if you hadn't watched the last episode yet but i don't think we need to yeah but I, there's certainly ways around it I, I like this the way it is i don't i don't think yeah. there's really anything wrong with it i'm good <sighs> okay well next week we've got season eight episode two the soulmate Original air date, September 26th, 1996. And if you're looking at TV Guide that night, uh, you may be reading some letters to the editor that TV Guide printed. Um, (laughs) But you will also probably be seeing George suspects the foundation attorney believes he murdered Susan. Uh Uh-huh. Sounds good. Uh, All right. Is that it? I think that's it. All right. For No Hugging, No Learning, I'm Tim Murphy. I'm Ted Hollowell. Be good. (laughs) 